Well, be warned, uh, children, uh, one day you will get to parent your parents. Uh, it'll happen sooner rather than later, probably, for some in the room. But you'll have an opportunity to pay back, I guess, maybe you could say, uh, some of the opportunities uh, that they uh, afforded you as they get older. And then you step into that kind of parenting kind of role, hopefully not to that degree that you just saw in that video. But we've been talking about parenting, uh, parental guidance. We've been talking about it for several months. We've got one more message next week in it before we go into the holiday series and the message with that. But as we've been talking about parenting and, uh, and the, all the elements of that, uh, I, I hope you realize that there's no perfect families. We've established that in the beginning. Uh, that uh, fact, I will say this, that bad families happen by accident, that good families happen on purpose. We've been kind of trying to re remove that ideal family, and this is what the ideal looks like. But hopefully, intentionally turning our hearts and our minds Becoming very intentional with our parenting. Kids don't drift to goodness. They drift to selfishness. Parents don't drift away from narcissism. They have to make a conscious decision to move away from that. So we're hopefully turning our families to be very intentional about what we're about. Now, I read that this statement this week in a study that just was released this week. And I want to see if you know... The difference. All right. I asked Lori and she didn't know the difference. So who are these people or what do these people have in common? What does Katy Perry have in common with Rick Warren? All right. I asked Lori that and she said that maybe they have a thousand or a million Twitter followers or something like that. And that's that's not the answer. Maybe that's true of them, but that's wrong. So let me give you a couple more names. What do, what do uh, Ann Graham Lotz, Franklin Graham... And uh, Frank uh, Schaefer have in common. What do they, these three have in common with Jonas Brothers and Jessica Simpson? Can you get it? You have a guess? They're all preacher's kids. All right? So here's the reality. Uh, that as I stand here with you today, I, I, and the reason it's been 22 years in ministry, and this is my first parenting series is I am being very vulnerable with myself here and Lori with herself last week. And I'm also, to some degree, exposing our children uh, to the stories, to the uh, exposure that, that we have done, uh, tried to do in our, in our family, and our kids have affirmed it back to us, that we've not tried to put any extra undue pressures on them being PKs or being preacher's kids, and that they've truly owned their faith themselves. But as you think about the, the whole raising of children, I certainly, as a parent, as a preacher, um, and Lori as a pastor's wife, we don't want to raise uh, Katy Perry. I'm sorry, I, li I like her, her, her voice and all that kind of stuff. But I'm sorry, I don't want that kind of, I'd rather have a Rick Warren, okay, and when I raise my children. I think you do as well. You would not want to have that, that train wreck played out in the tabloids. You don't want that. So how is it that we can get there? I, I, I'll say this again. Bad parenting happens by accident. But good parenting will happen because we do it on purpose. So what we can do, and they have to own, they have to own a lot of their life and a lot of their choices. But what we as parents get to own is we get to own a portion of that. The way we raise them, how we raise them, how we release them, uh, what we equip them with as they go out into this world is very important. In this same study, it goes on to say 
that two of five pastors, that's 40%, said that between the ages or 15 years or older, that their child went to a, t- a time where they actually doubted their faith. And then you go on and you read in the study, it gets even more depressing, that a third of them, 33% of them, have found that their children are no longer involved in church. That I have three children. And if, I, if, if my, my, my family would be true on the national average, that one of, my children would leave, one, of my, one of my children would leave the church and leave the faith and walk away. I mean, it would break my heart for that to happen. So when I step before you today, I don't step before you as an expert. I don't step before you as a perfect parent. In fact, you'll not find a perfect parent in the scriptures. You start with Adam, he falls apart, and his sons start killing each other. Uh, you go on to Noah. You go on all the way down the list uh, as, we, as we covered in the very first uh, message. There isn't a perfect parent. There isn't a perfect uh, uh, home life. So now I stand before you today. And I try to answer the question, what does a, what does a children need from their father? What is that? Now again, I, the 101 answers out there, but I'm a little bit intimidated as I stand before you today. So, and it wasn't even in my planning of this series of messages way back in the summer that I planned on sharing from Proverbs. So be finding your your, your way in your Bible to the book of Proverbs. We'll be in chapter 2 in just a moment. But as in the planning stages, I wasn't going to be in Proverbs. I was actually going to be in another book. But God has led me in my own devotional time to go back and to do an old practice that I've done hit and miss off and on for a lot of years. And that's just to read a proverb a day for every chapter a day for a month. 31 proverbs, 31 days. You just read a chapter a day and just look for a verse that pops off the page or something that really speaks to you. And I've been tweeting it and all that kind of stuff. So that's just what I've been going through as God's been speaking to me. But in that process... I begin to notice from chapter 1 to chapter 2 to chapter 3 and right on through, 23 different times in the book of Proverbs, he addresses my son. My son. My son. So I thought, you know, there's something going on here. It takes me three or four times to get the message, but maybe God, you want me to share from Proverbs. And just from a father to a son. My son, take this with you. My son, don't forget this. My son, treasure this. And so, as a father today, what do I hear from that? What can I learn from that? What do we know about Solomon? Solomon, as we know, very wise king. Had over 3,000 proverbs and a thousand, over a thousand different psalms that he wrote. Very articulate. Very, very, uh, he had one request of God that God would give him wisdom. And God gave him a, a truckload of wisdom. In fact, so much wisdom that kings and kingdoms and, uh, and leaders would come from around the world to hear and consult with wise King Solomon. In fact, the Queen of Sheba, southern Ethiopia, made the track all the way up the Nile River, all the way over to Israel, all the way to sit down with King Solomon to just download his wisdom. It was, I don't know what happened first. I don't know if it was a, a journey throughout his whole life. But it was at some point in his life because... Solomon wrote three different books that we know of in, in, in the Old Testament. He wrote the Song of Solomon first. It was an early on writing. It was, a, it was a love letter to his wife. It was actually a very erotic love letter to his wife. Children who had not yet gone through the bar mitzvah were not allowed to read the Song of Solomon. Some of you may have said, okay, my devotionals this month will be in the Song of Solomon. You know, it's that level of, uh, of content of a love letter between uh, a husband and a wife. But then you come to Proverbs. 
Ecclesiastes is his, his own memoirs of his own regrets in life and things that he figured out even after he'd made all this wealth and all this success in his life. It's really worth reading unto himself. But Proverbs fits in kind of the middle. Not the end of his life, not the beginning of his marriage, not the beginning of his family. It's, it's here in the middle. And again, I have to believe that something about Proverbs is a collection book. A collection of all these little bits of wisdom, all these little sayings, all these little things that God has given to, to Solomon. And he's been pouring it out to kings and kingdoms and queens. And he's been passing it on. And it's almost like one day he wakes up and says, hey, i got children. I don't want my children to leave. I'm very successful as a king. I'm very affluent. I've made it. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a consulted by nations. But he wakes up one day and he says, I've got to get this down for my boys. I've got to get this down for my children. Let me just push pause on that for just a moment. And just cry out to the men today. Because what I see so often is I see men that are capable and accomplished and successful in the boardrooms, in the classrooms, in the courtrooms. They're accomplished in what they say and do. They're consulted, but when they get home, they're passive. They're unengaged. They're uninvolved. Guys, come on. Step up. Don't be like Solomon or be like Solomon. Wake up today and say, listen, I've got all this wisdom, all this that God has given me. I can't let my children grow up and not have it. So Solomon begins to write and he writes and says again and again and time and again, my sons, my sons, don't miss this. My sons, don't miss this. John Phillips said about Proverbs, Proverbs is intended to be our, uh, to, for our daily life what the book of Psalms is intended for our devotional life. Pretty good summation. Psalms is written by Father David, Solomon's father, largely, all other input, but largely by Solomon, uh, by, by David, excuse me. And it's really a great book if you really want to connect in an emotional, heart level way with God the Father. And you really want to know Him and praise Him and worship Him deeply, read Psalms. But it's as if. As if David, Solomon turns around and he says, you know, I'm going to help you connect not with God, but I'm going to help you connect in day-to-day life in the real world. How are you going to do your business? How are you going to operate in relationships? What kind of work ethic will you have? Will you be a sluggard or will you be an ant? He has lots of great wisdom. Lots of great wisdom about love, about relationships, and so forth. And so what we're doing today is we're just going to tap into just some Actually, just a handful of the 23 different times that he cries out to his son. Son, listen up. Son, don't forget this. Son, treasure this. And let's just gain some wisdom today from this. Because really this is a challenge both to parents, mother and father, but also to the child. Proverbs chapter 1, chapter one verse 8 is the first time you find the, the phrase, My son, hear my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching. It's a combination effort. It's a mother and a father getting on the same page, sharing precepts, principles, wisdom, insight from God's Word, from God's truth, from life, and helping them sort through life. Now you heard last week, as Lori shared, nine different things that a mother contributes to a child, all right, to, to, to uh, uh, our children as they grow up. Nine different things. Now, it was a very articulated message. I, I appreciate it so much. But nine things. I can't remember nine things, all right? I'm a guy, so I'm going to give you three things, all right? And, and guys operate better in three. You think about it. You play football, third, three downs, and you're out. you got to punt the ball. 
three strikes and you're out. So you know, we operate in threes better than we operate in nines. But so we're going to talk about three different things that we bring to a relationship, that we contribute to this relationship as a father in the relationship. Now I ask you, I ask my Facebook community friends out there, uh, what they thought about this this past week. And got over 40 different responses, read every single one of them, appreciated every one of them. But I got responses from Africa to Australia, from unchurched to church, from men to women, to, uh, to young and to old. People who had deep pains because I know their story from their father. And people who had great relationships with their fathers. And every one of them brought a different level of insight to it. In fact, I thought as I read each one of those, I thought, you know what? There's a whole series right in these responses to what it means to be a father. So I was even more intimidated at this point. So how can I meet everybody's expectation at this point? So I, I just had to back out. I just had to look in. Okay, wise King Solomon, what is it that you want your children to have? To home, to, to, to absorb, to really live out in their life as they grow into this world. So let's look at Proverbs chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. And we find the second time that the my son phrase is mentioned. It says, my son, if you receive my words and treasure up the commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding. Now I want you to skip down to chapter 3. Now I'm not trying to draw something out of context. In fact, you'll find in the Proverbs there's not much of a context many times. It's just one, again, blip of wisdom, insight, uh, soundbite, one after another. And they're kind of sometimes disjointed. Sometimes there's some continuity. Let's go down to chapter 3 and verse 1. He said, My son. Again, calls out to his son. Do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace, they will add to you. So what is it that we as dads bring to the table? Not that the moms don't bring it to the table. But what do we as dads certainly can bring to the table? I, there's several values that we can bring to the table or benefits. One is the communication of values to the table. We bring that to the family. I have a, my own list of things I wanted my kids. We've launched two kids now. And, and, and as we've launched them, I, years before they launched, a couple of years before they launched, I begin to think, oh my goodness, I only have a very short time. What are they missing before they leave? And so I really began to rack my brain and kind of put some stuff together. And, and this is my McDaniel don't leave home without it list, all right? And so you can, uh, you can make your own. One was self-defense. I, I don't know where I got that. But I just didn't want my kids to be beaten up somewhere in this world. Uh, I wanted them to be able to defend themselves. Two of the two boys went through uh, Taekwondo. They got their black belts. No problem with that. Jordan had nothing to do with that. Didn't want anything to do with that. I said, you're not leaving the state, going off to a school in another time zone and not being able to defend yourself on a college campus. I said, you're going to do that. She agreed reluctantly to go to the Bentonville Police Department. And Jim Brock, who's one of our church members, also teaches down there, teaches a self-defense class. She came all more excited. She said, I got to beat up someone today. I said, it's more fun getting, beating up someone than it is getting beat up. So and she was glad she went to that class. So I wanted to do self-defense. I wanted to fix a flat. All right? Simple thing. Listen, you're going to give them a car, loan them a car, whatever. They need to be able to fix a flat, check the oil. That's always a very helpful uh, thing to be able to do. 
And you could talk to some parents in the room that didn't teach their child to check the oil and what happened from that. Balance a checkbook. I was so glad whenever they were going to a school that they, they took a Dave Ramsey course on how to manage your money and just some basic stuff. I want them to be able to go on a college campus, go out, balance a checkbook, live on, live on what they make, not on what they want to make. Uh, Sunday in life. Another one out there over to the, the side is kind of a, a, a kind of an odd one, and it's this book right here, How to Read a Book. Now, I didn't read this book, and it maybe sound a little bit strange. How do you read a book, and you read a book about how to read a book? And Jordan absolutely thought it was the worst thing on the planet when I gave her this book in her junior year and told her, you're not going to college until you read this book. Now, the reason I got this book was because I had a professor in my doctoral program. I already bachelor's, master's, now I'm a doctor. Howard Hendricks said, in the first class I took, said, everyone needs to read this book. I read it. I said, why didn't I read this before I went to college? So I had all my kids, or at least my two oldest, they've read this book before going to college and hated every bit of it. Jordan will be home next week. Ask her what she thought of this book. She'll tell you. But at the same time, it helped them in their college. It's helping them as they go along. But now that's good. But that's not all my list. There is one other thing. I want my kids to walk out of the house, and I want them to know how to walk with God. And I want them to hunger for Him. Now the other two are a little bit more mechanical, or the other ones are a little bit more mechanical. Tick it off the list, you've done it, and you walk on. But this last one right there, God forbid that my children would walk out of the preacher's home at Grace Point Church, not knowing God, loving God, or even desiring to walk with God. Now that's going to take years of practicing my faith and living my faith before them and communicating my faith. That's what we as fathers can bring to the table is a level of communication that, that, that many others can't. That I think, I'll say this, I'm going to stick my neck out and say this, men. And I'm not downing the ladies. I'm going to say, if the men will model and live and communicate the faith in a more vocal, real way, the children will own it. It validifies what the wife has been saying and encouraging all along. But whenever you don't go to church, and you're here, obviously, I'm not talking to you, or when you don't obey the laws, or when you don't do that, then you give them an excuse not to. So we have to watch ourselves. And this is going to be caught more than taught. They're going to watch us and see at life principle we teach what we know, we reproduce who we are. Who are you? That's a life principle. We, 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 we teach what we know, but we reproduce who we are. So when you talk about communication and communicating this out and getting this out to our children, how do we do this? Now, obviously, I can stand before my children and take out one of my sermons and hold my Bible in front of them and give them three points of poem and a car wreck story and tell them why they need to follow Jesus. That won't work. I've got to think of ways I can creatively communicate my faith to my children so that they will own it. So I want you to think of communicating your faith in all five senses. Obviously, you're going to vocalize it. We're not going to even talk about hearing the faith because that's, what, that's the, the assumption that we go with. But I want us to talk about seeing. What are your children seeing? Or what are your children hearing with their eyes? When the, when the dad goes up to the movie, movie theater and buys tickets for the family, he says, tell him you're, you're 11 and you're not 12. It'll save us a buck 50. I'll buy you a popcorn with that. 
What are you communicating? I'll promise you this, children. I'll promise you this, adults. It will take you longer to undo that buck fifty that you saved from just lying and just sticking, just, just doing that little bit than it would have cost you to pay that buck fifty more. I had one guy come in my office and tell me he's in the construction industry and he grew up in the construction industry. His dad tutored him along in the construction industry. He told him, he said, my dad taught me how to cheat businesses. You go into the lumber yard, you pay for 10 4x4s, and you, when you pull up to, to get your 4x4s, you're loading it up, and you just put 12 on. They'll never count it. They'll never know. You just drive on. My dad taught me how to cheat. My dad taught me this. Call them the ways of the world if you want to. Call it the, the common sense business practices if you want to. Or call it lying. Call it whatever, it is, whatever you want to call it. The reality is, do you want to reproduce that? We've got to communicate our values. What are they seeing? What are they touching? How, what does touch in our homes look like, feel like? When you, we, we, does, it, does it feel safe and secure? Now, I'm a person whose love language is touch. I love an embrace. I love a handshake. I love a pat on the back. I love that. That means love to me. That means security to me. We are a touching family, meaningfully touching, safely touching. I have to say that. I hate that I even have to say that in our culture, but I have to say meaningful, safe touches. But it's important that you touch and embrace. It brings security to the table. In fact, studies have been known, have been done. The University of Miami Medical School of Touch Research, out of all things, there's actually a school of touch research institute. They began a study on premature babies, 45 minutes of massages each day. 45 minutes, that baby didn't know how good it had it, all right? Every day, 45 minute massages, premature. Within 10 days, the massaged babies showed 47% greater weight gain than those children who were not regularly touched. In the second study, the actual bone growth of a young children that had been deprived of prenatal touching was half that of the bone growth of children who received adequate physical touches. Touching is important. There's power in the touch. Touch will help your children grow. Lori snapped a photo when Lori, uh, jo Josh and I were sitting on a couch a few weeks ago uh, on Sunday afternoon, two six-foot guys on a six-foot couch, and we're rubbing each other's feet. Josh did this. Josh got in my lap. And Josh wanted his feet rubbed. That's just something we, we've been doing that all our life. i got to stop rubbing him. He's six foot tall. He keeps growing from all the rubbing, I guess. But uh, the, the idea of touch, the power of touch. You can communicate values. Because you know what you're going to do? You say, well, what, what communicating? Touch and hugging my kids. Well, what does that really communicate? What it does is it opens the heart so you can speak the truth in but if there's not safe, meaningful touches in the home, it'll be hard to communicate the values that you want to pass on. Smell. What does your home smell like? Is it aromatherapy or is it a locker room? Think about it. And it really, this is something that you can't measure. This is the mysterious value of it, the smell. But you know what smell is. I mean, you, you know, you walk into one person's house and you go, wow, it smells awesome. And, and you go, oh, no, that stinks. And, and then you walk in your kid's room and it smells like a locker room. And they don't smell. What do 
are you talking about? They don't smell anything. They're used to the smell. They got used to the smell, so they're not smelling what you're smelling. You need that outsider to come in. We had somebody come to Grace Point Church who was actually a manager at, at, a, at, a, at, a, at a Walmart store. He actually was a high, kind of a kind of a reconstruction manager. And he would go into bad Walmart stores and, and kind of manage them back to life again, going to another one. His family moved around a lot. And one of the first things he said to me when we got together after that, he says, Grace Point has a good smell about it. I didn't know what he meant by that. Coffee smell, what kind of smell? And then he explained it to me. He says, there's just something that you smell. It just feels right. Whenever you walk in your home, does it feel right? Do your senses come together and say, this is good. This is a good place to be. Again, what are you communicating in the home? What does it smell like? What does it feel like as you touch? What does it sound like? And what does it taste like? Does your conversation taste good in the home? Columbia University found that families who ate, who had five meals per week together avoided many of the serious problems that beset teenagers. Listen, sit down together as a family over the dinner table. Turn off the TV, take these crazy, stupid things, put them in the other room, don't answer their beeps, their dings, their buses, and have conversations at the table. With one another. Now let me just tell you, you might sit there at the table the first few times and go, okay, what are we going to talk about? We're going to have this deep conversation. No, just have light conversations. Create an environment where you can get conversations going, where you can pass on in non-formal settings, in informal ways, the values that you value, that you want your kids to walk out of the house with. Now I have this cube that I picked up. Pick this up in some novelty store, I think, in Dallas. But I want to give it to you, and I don't even know anything about the company. It's called Table Topics. You need to jot it down and order one or two. There's multiples there that you can get. And give your family a Christmas gift this year. So what we do, and our kids, I kid you not, when all of us are sitting around the table, and we're talking, Josh will get up from the table, go grab the cube, and bring it up to the plate. What is it? So what we do is we open it up and randomly, everyone gets to ask a question, randomly we draw a card from the back. Do you live more in the past, the present, or the future? Just a conversation piece is all it is. Do you live more in the past, the present? Could reveal some beautiful, powerful things about yourself and about other people. You draw out another one. What quality do you think is most important in a marriage. Bingo. Now you're talking. Now you're having a gentle, easy conversation around the family table. It can go as deep, as long as you want. Literally, we have finished our, our meal, but we will sit for another 15 to 20 minutes just answering questions. Everybody wants to get their turn at asking a question. What am I saying? Dad's Lead the charge. Dad, lead the way in this. Get the conversation going so that you are, what does he say there? If you receive my words, verse uh, chapter 2, verse 1. If you receive my words. Think of ways that you can communicate meaningful, valuable phrases. Notice all the different times in the passage of Scripture. 
And I'm jumping all over my notes in the back. These guys are going crazy. But in chapter 4, verse 10, notice he said this, accept my words. Uh, chapter 4, verse 20, be attentive to my words. Chapter 19, verse 27, cease to hear instruction and you will stray from the words of knowledge. Verse, chapter 23, verse 19, hear my son and be wise. Communication. Absolutely valuable. You can't get away from it. And dads, we get to bring it to the ta table and bringing our values to the table. Number two, you want appreciation of the, of the values. Notice what he goes on to say in the same chapter, chapter 2, verse 1. If you receive, that's the first verb, my words, and treasure, that's the second verb, treasure up. Hold it tight and safe and secure. Protected and guarded is really what this Hebrew word here. It's the Hebrew word seifon. It's used 36 different times in the scripture, in, in the Old Testament. And it means to hold it close, to hold it tight, to don't let anybody else steal it. Listen, I want my kids to go out of my house and to go into the real world. And I don't want them to take, oh man, dad shoved that down my throat and walk away from it. Oh mom, she kept pounding me about that and walk away from it. I want them to treasure it, to protect it. When they leave the house, there's going to be lots of ideas, lots of philosophies, lots of voices, lots of sounds in their heads and going to be calling them away. They need to treasure, honor, and treasure, and protect, and hold tight the values that you passed on. Notice that it said there, inclining your heart to understanding. Really putting it deep inside of your heart and protecting it deep inside your heart. What do we need to make sure they have? And you need to make sure they have it early. Because by age nine, their moral values are going to be established in large part. Again, if you've taught them to lie and cheat their way through life, they will pick that up and continue it right on. Spiritual beliefs and commitments by age 13, relational habits and patterns by age 13 as well. I read a book, one of the books I read before coming back. Thirteen years ago I read this book. Still remember it. Very impactful. Very influential. The Next American Spirituality by George Gallup. I read it while we were still in Africa. And I read it. It came out in 2001, I believe it was. Or right around that time. Or actually 2000. And, came, and I read it in 2000. And it's like, okay, this, we, America needs a new church. Because if this is what American Christianity is, we're in trouble. This is the statement that I locked in on. The facts indicate that many parents neglect to model prayer and discuss faith in the rush to get kids dropped off at school baseball and ballet practice. Have we squeezed out the time to nurture? Does the family talk about God? I'll let that just sit there. A Jewish boy grew up in a German town um, with a practicing Jewish family and um, thought Judaism was the faith. He was at a formative, very prime time in his life to make a lot of decisions and was examining the faith for one of those. Then his dad moved the family to another area of Germany that was largely Lutheran. They started going to a Lutheran church, stopped going to the synagogue, confused the son. He didn't know what's up, why, why, why are we doing this? Starts going to uh, the Lutheran church, and as he gets to the Lutheran church, he asks, Dad, Dad, why are we here? He said, well, we've got to realize we've moved from a Jewish town to a Lutheran town, and 
He says it's really just good for business. And if we'll go to the, the Lutheran church, there's more people, and I can make more relationships. It literally is just good for business. This kid was in this formative age of his life and stage. It rocked his world. It killed something inside of him. He grows up. He moves to London. He starts writing. And as he starts writing, he writes a bestseller. You might have heard of it. It's called The Communist Manifesto. His name is Karl Marx. And he writes that religion is the opium of our society. It's the drug of our society. Listen, our kids will take more than we want them to take from our homes at times. We better make sure that they are truly treasuring the truths that we have. We're passing on the right things. It leads me to the third value that we get to bring to values, and that's the assimilation. If you look there back at that passage, he said in chapter 3, verse 1, he says, don't forget. Don't forget. Listen, if you forget it, you really didn't own it. If it owns you, you own it. You don't forget it. You don't forget where you live. You don't forget your spouse. You don't forget your parents. You don't forget certain things. You forget something. You really didn't own it. I don't want my kids walking out of the house forgetting it or losing it. Middle-aged North American children face an abundance on every hand. Possibilities and opportunities are expanded, expanded so greatly that, that the very shape of life has changed. They can do anything. They can go anywhere. They can be anybody. In parenthetical statement, we tell them that. We teach them that. We give them trophies if they come in last place. Uh, and because you can be everything. They see, they see no risk. They can always start over. They will not starve. They didn't grow up in that generation. The real risk is spiritual. They could lose their souls. A generation of narcissists. Growing up with narcissistic parents. Focused on self. Where we take pictures of selves and we call them selfies. And we live a selfies life. You might not know the names of Frank and Mara Graham. You might not even know their children, all of them anyway. I had one child, one boy named Melvin. They grew up, they were, they were just agriculturalists, they were uneducated. But, but Melvin talks about his dad as having this thundering voice that when he prayed, is the heavens shook. And the mother, the mother would, would, would sit by their bed at night and would, would teach them scripture verses. Dad would teach them to pray, mother would teach them scripture verses beautiful combination, working together to raise up their kids. You might not have heard of Melvin, you might not have heard of Mario, you might not have heard of Frank, but I bet you heard of Billy. Billy grew up in this same home. And the very first verse that Billy Graham says that he memorized, remember, remember memorizing was John 3.16. And from that point forward, and 185 nations later, and territories later and 210 million people later, that voice has carried John 3.16 around the world because mama and daddy sat by the bed and taught them how to pray and taught them how to memorize scripture. Folks, we can pass on and we don't have to be educated and we don't have to be seminarians and we don't have to be, we don't have to be. We just got to love God in a deep, passionate way. 
And our values will be caught, not taught. Our kids will see our warm heart, and they will want it. They'll see our real faith, and they will desire it. Do your values. Are you communicating your values? Are your children, are they appreciating and valuing and treasuring and holding close to their heart the values? Are they assimilating them? Are they forgetting them as you speak them and as you live them? Because you don't want that. The beauty of this is verse 2. He says in chapter 3, he says, For length of days of years, length of days and years of life, quality and quantity, right there, and peace will be added to you. Listen, you don't want your kids going out and forgetting and losing their faith and walking away from their faith. And I know we can't control everything, but what we can contribute, let's contribute it passionately, authentically. Let's be real and let's say we're sorry to our kids when we mess up. And let's say, I love you and let's embrace them and let's pass on values and let's show love and give love to the next generation so that they don't miss it. Listen, if I want to leave a legacy, i got to live a legacy. i got to live a life today that I will want my kids to remember me tomorrow. Now maybe they'll write a song about you someday. Maybe they won't. Maybe they'll just remember you on in, in namesake. Maybe they'll just remember you on the value you share. Maybe you won't have a Dan Fogelberg in your family. Go back to the 1980s, 1981, when he wrote a song dedicated and about his dad. Writes a song, and I don't know if his faith values it at all, but, but Dan writes this song to his dad and about his dad. Now his dad was very old, very elderly. Lawrence was his name. And in 1981, this song hits the, hits the airways, climbs to number eight or nine on the, on the charts, gets all kinds of recognition. That's in 1981. In August of 1982, Lawrence dies. But what a last year of his life. You go on Dan Fogelberg's website today, you'll find this statement. I was able to give him that song. I was able to give him that song before he passed on. In his final years, he was interviewed many times by the national press because of it. He went on, he went out in a blaze of glory, which meant a lot to me and my family. I don't know what your legacy will be, but whatever you're living today, it will be your legacy. I want you to listen to the song. And if you want to write, there's a space in your bulletin you can write. This is your time to write to, maybe you need to write to your father. Maybe your father's not living. Maybe you didn't have a good relationship with your father and your father is living. And you just need to write and express and emote on a piece of paper and do it now. You might need to write to the future. You might need to write to your children. Children, this is what... I value, and this is what I hope you value, started. Good families happen on purpose. Bad families happen by accident. Only 
child alone and wild, a cabinet maker's son. His hands were meant for different work, and his heart was known to none. He left his home and went his lone and solitary way, and he gave to me a gift I know I never can repay. Quiet man of music denied a simpler fate. He tried to be a soldier once, but his music wouldn't wait. He earned his love through discipline, a thundering velvet hand. His gentle means of sculpting souls took me years to understand. The leader of song is in my soul. My life has been a poor attempt to imitate the man. I'm just a living legacy to the leader of the band. My brother's lives were different, for they heard another call. One went to Chicago and the other to St. Paul. And I'm in Colorado when I'm on some hotel. Living out this life I chose and gone to know so well. Thank you for the music and your stories of the road. I thank you for the freedom when it came my time to go. I thank you for the kindness and the times when you got tough. And Papa, I don't think I said I love you near enough. The leader And the song is in my soul. My life has been a poor attempt to imitate the man. I'm just a living legacy to the leader of the band. I am a living legacy to the leader of the band. Father, we bow before you. 
And Lord, to say, as I've said so many times in this series and this message, that there's not a perfect father in this room is actually wrong. You are a perfect father. Lord, if we came from a train wreck, or we've created a train wreck. If we want to know how to get out of the mess, or Lord, we're trying to prevent a mess. Help us to look past. Past all of the mistakes and to see you as our Father, as our template, as our, as our, as our example, Lord, to live before this generation. People in this room that don't even have kids, don't even think of kids, not even married, Lord, may they set standards now for themselves, for their life, for their relationships, that, Lord, their legacy will start today when they give birth to the next generation. It will make a difference in all generations. Lord, we thank you for this time. And we ask you as our Father to help us to rise up and to be like you. Lord, we thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen.